You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode number 138. And today, we have a special guest on diving even deeper into the metabolism series. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. My name's Alexa, and as always, this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Over here on the podcast all year long, we've been talking about metabolism. Yes, we're in the middle of a metabolism series. In fact, we're getting closer to the end. And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. It has been so much fun. I have received so much feedback from this metabolism series. So if this is your first episode, I think you should go back and start at episode number 130, where we first introduced metabolism and why it's so much more than calories in equals calories out. Then we talk about things like leptin and other hormones that are involved, why you don't binge on broccoli, how to crave healthier food, places you should never eat, and so much more. Like there's so much practical information inside, and I hope, like my true hope with this podcast series is that you can look at health in a new way. Not one that's stuck on numbers or all of the negativity that you hear surrounding metabolism, like it's just stuck or that's the way your life is or it's going to slow down with age and everything's going to get worse, right? Like, no, we have so much control, but it's different control than we've been taught. So thank you again for tuning in. Today's episode is no different. We have guest expert Brian St. Pierre, he is a nutritionist with the massive website, Precision Nutrition. If you haven't checked out their work, go over to precisionnutrition.com and learn more about what they do. They have some amazing blog posts specifically on health subjects, and they just really take a deep dive into it, but in a really practical way. So make sure you check that out and find more about Brian St. Pierre over there as well. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be asking Brian about how we can change our metabolism and what does affect it in a positive and negative way. And we also dig into how the mindset affects metabolism, which we dove into more last week on the episode about if your mindset affects your metabolism. Of course, yes, it does. There's the spoiler alert. So make sure you go back and check out that episode and then come back here and listen to this episode with Brian. Like I said, we're going to dive into all of it. I have so many questions for Brian, so you're going to want to stay tuned and get those. But like I said, don't forget to go back and listen to all the episodes in the Metabolism series. You can also always find the show notes to these episodes at simperswellness.com backslash and then insert the episode number. So for this show, it's simperswellness.com backslash 138 to get all the information on today's show. And while you're there, I think that you should sign up for my email list. I don't think, I know you should. Like there's so much inside of my emails and I know that you probably get inundated with emails in your inbox, but these emails are different. Like this is my heart and soul poured out in words that really wanna help you. And inside those emails, I don't just share things that can help you, but I share the journey that I'm going through. Now, I took a little hiatus from it. I really did get burnt out. If you're following along my email list, you probably got the email that said, I am burnt out. Um, Anyways, I share how I'm getting through that. And I do want to share an update on what's going on with my health. I've been having people ask since I had this mold illness and um, the virus, Lyme disease, all the things. So head on over there. I'm going to be sharing more about an update on my health, how I'm healing, all the things. So check that out and then make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast so that you're the first to get the new episodes because I don't always share them on my blog right away and definitely not in emails. So make sure you hit subscribe so those new podcast episodes when they're released come to you first. Okay, 
That's it for now. Sign up for the email. Head to the show notes to do that. Don't forget to hit subscribe on the show. Tell your friends about Simple Rose Radio because this site is growing. Like this community is growing and I couldn't be more thrilled about the group of people we have who are like-minded on a mission to live a healthier life. So keep sharing it. I'm so thankful for that. That literally is the lifeblood of the show. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Okay, but for now, we're gonna get right to today's show and welcome Brian to the show. Welcome to the show, Brian. I'm excited to have you on. I've been following your work over at Precision Nutrition for a long time, and I think it's really great what you guys are doing over there. Well, it's, I'm glad to hear that, and I'm, I'm pumped to be on here, Alexa, and looking forward to uh, you know having a good conversation. Yeah, so today we're talking about metabolism, and I want to take a deeper dive into it. So I'm doing this whole entire metabolism series. It's been so much fun. But I want to talk to you today about the adaptive nature of metabolism, because I think we go in with this idea or the world has taught us this idea that you're kind of stuck with the metabolism that you have. But this isn't necessarily true. Sure, slowly over time, maybe it could slow down. But Brian, tell us the truth about the adaptive nature of metabolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to understand like that metabolism... People think of it as like just this one single entity, and really there are multiple facets to our metabolism um, in the sense that, well, let's say you decide to start losing weight um, or start, you know, moving more, doing different things. So there's the, like the physical, like the physics of our metabolism in the sense that if you start losing weight, you're now a smaller body. Well, a smaller body requires fewer calories just to move and to go about your daily functions. So you'll burn less calories just by being smaller, right? That's just the physics of your metabolism. But interestingly, that's not the whole story. So if you just rely on the physics and let's say someone loses, you know, 10% of their body weight. So let's say they were 200 pounds and they lost 20 pounds. Just going by the physics, you would expect about a 10% decrease in their overall metabolic output Mm -hmm. because they weigh 10% less. But when you actually look at the data and people have people have studied humans, our metabolism actually drops a little more than that. And that's because of the adaptive component where our body starts recognizing like, hey, uh, you know, we're losing weight here. It views it as a potential threat because historically, right, humans didn't diet down for aesthetic reasons. Um, You know, we'd had a very different life circumstance throughout our evolution and throughout mammal evolution before that. So metabolism is designed... um, historically to look at significant weight loss as a potential threat mm-hmm. so it's really ends up down like downshifting your metabolism even more than you might expect just from weighing less um, to help preserve your weight and to help keep you safe and thriving that's it's that's the purpose and the intent of that adaptive component however in today's world it just m- makes it that much harder right to, to achieve whatever it is you're setting out to achieve. Not impossible, right? It can still be done. And I think that's a key piece is oftentimes it can sound like self-defeating. Oh, if my body's going to adapt even further, then why even try? It's, you know, we teach this not to make it sound like it's impossible, but so that you can set appropriate expectations from the outset. Because oftentimes people, um, when they have, you know, these pie-in-the-sky expectations, oh, man, I, you know, I read this, if I cut out 500 calories a day, I'll lose a pound a week, and they start doing that for a while, and then they're not reaching those goals. It's like, it's frustrating, because it feels like the math isn't adding up, and it can be discouraging. 
But when you have an actual understanding of how metabolism truly works and what the process will look like, uh, it can make it less discouraging to understand this is just how the journey goes. Um, right. So metabolism, it, it does, it will decrease over time. Right? If you look at a your metabolic output from the time life starts to the time your life ends, when you're really young, your metabolism is super high, right? Because mm-hmm. you're you're fueling growth. As a child, you're growing and you're developing, your brain is growing, your bones, your muscles, your organs. And then as an adult, that tends to kind of plateau. Um, so for men it tends to, and women, it tends to plateau from about 20 to 40. And then it tends to start slowly kind of decline from there a little bit from women, particularly because of menopause. But that can be somewhat attenuated, right? If you exercise consistently uh, throughout your lifetime, if you eat adequate amounts of protein, you maintain a healthy body weight, you get, you know, do all the things people talk about, get adequate sleep, you know, manage your stress appropriately, you can maintain as high a level of a metabolism as possible. It will still slow as you age. It is a function of aging, but it can slow a lot less than someone who doesn't um, take as good of a care of themselves. Right, right. And that makes total sense, especially when we go back into the history of human life. I mean, we've got to be, generationally speaking, some of the first people who actually are trying to lose weight because it's just kind of against our survival mechanisms. Would you agree with that? Like, this is not how our body was intended was to lose weight. (laughs) Totally. Um, You know, it's really interesting when you when you think about it, like over the past, I'll say like, you know, maybe around 100 years, not even quite, was the first time we had like supermarkets and like consistent, significant access to calorie dense food. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, humans have had to go through a lot of effort to get that food, right? We had to do a lot of farming intensive practices. I mean, even before that, hunting and foraging, uh, there was a lot more like energy cost, right. however you want to put it, like calorie cost, time and effort spent into acquiring food. Today, you know, it's as far as your freezer, right? You can walk to your fridge. You don't have to get ice blocks, like, you know, even just uh, a couple generations ago. So your your fridge is always ready. It's always there. Your pantry's full. You can go to the supermarket. You can you can drive. It's it's relatively simple and easy to find cheap, um, high energy dense, high calorie right. dense food. So we were, we're just living in a very different time than we actually evolved from, right? So historically, yeah, it wasn't. This is like the first time. Really, humans have like been consciously thinking about, okay, I'm eating this for health purposes or for, you know, even weight loss purposes. <laughs> Historically, right. it's not how humans ate or why they ate, right? There was much more of a survival or even like a communal aspect, you know, the idea mm-hmm. of breaking bread. And I think that's often overlooked today. No, that's not necessarily like important to metabolism. I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's, yeah. to me, it's always an important point because it, it can be easy to, you know, limit food to this idea of like these calorie inputs and calorie outputs or it's just about my metabolism your metabolism is important but food is more than just this like mathematical input um it is something that we use to to tell stories and we use to communicate with other humans when you have something important or something sad or something some big event in your life how do we often you know meet up with someone or, or share it with someone we we meet and we feed each other and we have a meal together. So food is much more than just its its calorie content or its macronutrient content. So I always find that important to keep in mind as much as, yeah, I know we're talking about metabolism today. Metabolism is super important, but there are right. bigger 
other elements at play that are worth keeping in mind. No, I really appreciate that you mentioned that because it's something that I'm bringing up in this metabolism series, that it's so much more than just what we take in and how much we burn, that there's so many elements that really do, like I would still make the argument that communal, the communal effect of food makes a difference in how our body stores that just based on our mindset and and all the things that are happening throughout our body hormonally and stress-wise, you know, like all these things. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that the communal aspect is is a huge piece and something that I agree we're totally missing today. And not to mention the seasonality of how we used to eat is no longer there. Can you talk about like how the seasonality of of even our metabolism works based on seasons, you know, like the actual physical seasons, cold, like we just were talking before this, how cold it is right now (laughs) where we're living, um, how that affects our metabolism. Yeah, it's a great question. And and I'm not sure anyone like fully understands that, but there's certainly some evidence to suggest and and certainly a lot of um, historical practices and how we, our bodies work a little bit differently in different times of year, especially if you live in areas where the seasons are very significantly different. Um, you know, in the wintertime, you know, people historically have, have fueled themselves differently than the summertime, partly because their activity is very different and their sleep schedules are different. So there's definitely always traditionally been a, a seasonal aspect to, to food intake now, how much that relates exactly to our metabolism, it's hard to say. Does, is it what's the chicken and the egg? Right. Um, is, is it because uh-huh. our intake is changing for the seasons, therefore our metabolism responds to that? Is there some other cues like from the sun, um, you know, less sun, more sun, that, that shifts our metabolism a certain way and then we eat to, to, to follow that? I don't know if anyone quite knows. It's a lot of correlations at this point mm-hmm. that I'm aware of. But it's a really interesting concept. I mean, you look at like indigenous populations or areas where there are like wet seasons and dry seasons, right? They ate very differently in the wet season versus the dry season based on what was available. And their metabolisms would would accommodate that. So what's really interesting about the seasonal aspect is human metabolisms are very adaptive and very capable of, of thriving on very different intakes. Right. So I think that's my, you know, my biggest takeaway there is like, yes, there's obviously an individual change when the seasons change um, because we can be more active in the summer and less active in the winter, but we burn more calories trying to stay warm versus trying to stay cool. So, you know, you can get into a real minutia there, but I think the most interesting thing when you look at it is regardless of where people lived and the different seasons that they had, humans have been able to thrive on very different intakes and their metabolisms have been able to adapt and thrive on very different intakes depending on the time of year and then the location. So to me, that's actually the the most interesting aspect of, of that kind of conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's really fascinating and it's a big passion of mine right now is to bring to light some of these differences and how our body reacts, that there's not a one size fits all. You know, like I think mm-hmm. that we've, we've proven that time and time again and getting too stuck on something can really backfire at, at the end of the day because of the adaptiveness of our metabolism and how it works to do that. So I want to keep talking and dive into adaptive thermogenesis because it's pretty astonishing how our body responds, right? So can mm-hmm. you break down specifically what adaptive thermogenesis means and how we can use it to our benefit? 
Yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on it in the beginning, right? And we were talking about like the the adaptive nature of, mm-hmm. of metabolism. So that's another way of framing that or, or calling it is that adaptive thermogenesis, right? That that change in metabolism outside of just from the change of your change in body weight or body composition, right? So there's that physics component. Oh, a smaller body or a larger body requires fewer or more calories at rest or while moving. But then there's that adaptive component, that adaptive thermogenesis, where the body makes a further change um, in recognition of, hey, we're losing weight, so therefore we need to slow it down even more to help prevent that loss. Or conversely, you actually see in some individuals, hey, we're, we're eating more calories than we need, uh, and the body will do an extra adaptive component to slow that weight gain. Now, this isn't as robust, um, and it's not equal amongst people. So there's a really interesting study that highlights this, where they, they overfed people by 1,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. for about eight weeks. So if you just go by traditional calorie math, right, 1,000 calories a day, that should be two extra pounds a week. Right. right so, <laughs> I mean, just by just by traditional straight math, um, not not taking into account the adaptive nature of the human body. So we're not, we're not robots, right? Our bodies are dynamic and constantly changing. And so by that math, people would have gained 16 pounds. I did this study for, for, for eight weeks. No one gained that much. Interestingly, there was one, one, one male, actually two males pretty much, who gained virtually nothing, less than a pound, even though they were overeating 1,000 calories more than normal after eight weeks. And there was one poor woman who, who gained nine pounds after all this time, right? But it showed the way, the way, the reason why that happened is there's something called NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Basically, the calories you expend, you know, spinning in your chair, fidgeting, maintaining posture, like just through small daily movement that's not purposeful exercise, mm-hmm. right? So pacing when you're on the phone, you know, tapping your leg, little things like that that actually can add up to hundreds and hundreds of calories a day. So what they actually found was everybody's um, small other there's multiple parts of your metabolism, right? So everyone's resting metabolic rate went up a little bit when they were eating eating more. Everyone's thermic effect of eating, like the calories you bent, you just you you burn just from digestion of your food. Everyone's went up a little bit, but the biggest difference was that neat output, right? On average, people those those people in that study burned like an extra 330 calories through wow. through neat through through pacing through fidgeting. Right, so that was like 33% of the added calories they were consuming were expended just because the body said, "Hey, we're, we're we're noticing this increase in calories." It ramped up neat output. However, right, that's just the average. When you look at the individual responses, there was uh, one guy in particular with two guys that were quite high. One guy burned off 692 extra wow. calories every day through NEAT. So that's almost 70%, right? He's yeah. the guy that gained less than a pound. Right. <laughs> and, the poor, and the poor woman who gained nine pounds actually burned 98 fewer calories than she had been before through NEAT. Wow. So that extra food made her feel so lethargic that she like moved less and her body didn't respond and say, hey, like we're taking in more than we need. Let's crank up some some movement. So it's, it's really interesting to see like that the um, researchers ended up deciding, and multiple other studies have shown this, that NEAT accounts for like 85% of our adaptive thermogenesis. Mm-hmm. But there is a huge individual variability. And that's one thing I always like to talk about when we talk about research is research often reports averages, right? When you look at the study, what it, what it reports is, oh, the average person burns off 33% of their you know, excess calories through NEAT output. 
Right. That doesn't tell the whole story because if you're a, an individual and you see that, you think, oh, I should burn off 33% of my excess calories just by pacing more. But not everyone is a research average, right? There was one one dude who burned off 70% and one poor woman who burned off fewer than she had before. Right. Um, so individual variability is huge. But that is like the adaptive nature is the body's recognizing, hey, we're getting in more or we're getting in less. It'll, you know downshift metabolism more than you would expect just because you weigh less, or it can upregulate metabolism because it recognizes there's excess calories coming in. And this is all controlled by the brain, mm-hmm. right? like your hypothalamus, the small area of your brain. So it's a really fascinating thing. Um, and same thing will happen like if you start cranking up exercise uh, above a certain threshold, your body will say, hey, we're, we're expending lots of extra calories through movement. It'll actually make you have less neat output oftentimes on average, right? You'll, you'll move less during the rest of the day. You'll pace and fidget less un- you know, subconsciously. You're not consciously right. choosing to do that. But your body's recognizing, hey, we're expending too many calories through, through purposeful movement, through physical activity, and it will downregulate. Um, for some people, on average, it'll downregulate it a little bit. Some people won't downregulate it at all. Right? And these are people where weight loss happens pretty quickly or weight gain is really difficult. And others, it'll downregulate very significantly. So it's a really interesting look at how how dynamic our human body is, and right. And we talk about you know calories in, calories out, and that is in the biggest picture. Yes, it is about calories in and calories out. But when you look at individual humans, the way their bodies regulate calories in, calories out is is really fascinating. Uh, it's not like they're these static numbers, and I think that's too often what they're boiled down to. Hey. Uh, this calculator said I require 2,000 right. calories a day, and therefore, if I eat 1,500, you know, I'll lose a pound a week. But right. that's not how the human body works, right? It's not like our our output is just this static number that stays the same all day, every day. It's constantly changing based on how much we're moving, how much we're sleeping, how much we're eating, how much we weigh. Um, so there's lots of other things that go into it. Uh, so I think that's always important to keep in mind when you're trying to to make bodily change that your body is not is not a calculator in that sense. It's not just oh hey we require 2,000 calories, and I'll just cut out 500 and boom I'll make exactly this progress. The body's always dynamically changing its output to match its input, or, or trying to mm-hmm. to some degree to maintain what's called homeostasis, right? And that's the adaptive component of the human body, and it's really fascinating. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's super fascinating. And I love the study that you bring up because there is such an individual component. And that's why, like, you know, there's a, a million different calorie counters out there who will measure perfectly. But yet such few people see the results that they want to see with that because of this process of the adaptive thermogenesis of the body. So when we talk about this and and you bring up the woman who ate a thousand more calories a day and and saw the nine pound gain because she was maybe feeling more lethargic, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this aspect of us trying to force our bodies into doing something that we want it to. Some call this metabolic damage. Like, can you explain that the ways we are damaging our own metabolism rather than kind of letting them adapt the way that they should? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of of the concept of your metabolism being damaged. Um, right. I guess in theory it's possible. Like you could argue if someone is suffering from diabetes, they might be suffering from some level of metabolic damage because to actually get to that point, their 
the theory is that their pancreas has been damaged and their insulin output is now affected, which does impact your the way you manage your calories in and calories out. So I could see that argument. But otherwise, um, mm-hmm. I tend to, to not like that concept because, yes, your metabolism can be uh, negatively impacted by lifestyle choices that you make um, right. or, or have made over the course of your life, like not getting enough sleep, you know, uh, being hyper-stressed. Um, you know, not eating particularly well over a long period of time, things of that nature, that can downregulate your metabolism. But there are lifestyle choices and actions you can take to to boost your metabolism back up and help it function more appropriately for your body. And so I, and I'll, I'll get into those, but I also want to talk about something about, that I think is often overlooked is our, the way we think about dieting or weight loss is just as important. So there's a concept called cognitive dietary restraint which is like a really fascinating area of research. And what it shows is when people are trying to lose weight and they're thinking about dieting and they're focused on you know the things they need to cut out and the restrictions they need to make and the deprivations that they're struggling through, interestingly enough, even if they're not eating less, but they're just thinking about the deprivation and eating less, it downregulates metabolism. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes we think of our bodies and our in our minds as these two separate entities, but in reality they're they're fully integrated, right? Mm-hmm. The, our thoughts about something impact our physical expression of that thing. So we had talked earlier, and you had mentioned, you know, we were talking about the communal aspect yeah. of food, and you were saying, oh, and people when you you know break bread together, you eat a meal, you feel like it actually is more beneficial because of its impacts on hormones, and that's fundamentally true. Um, partly because we look at the meal differently. I'm enjoying this meal. We're having a, a good meal together. We're sharing an experience. And you're not thinking about it from like a restrictive deprivation standpoint, right? You're thinking about it from a, an enjoyment standpoint. So there is significant amount of evidence that shows like our thoughts and feelings about our actions are just as important or almost as important as the actions themselves. So if you're going through this and you're and you're thinking about it from a negative standpoint and you're feeling, you're, you know, you're, oh, you're doing that. I can't do this. And you're thinking of all the things you can't do and you're thinking about the restraint you have to constantly be putting in. It will actually make your progress slower and harder. So one of the things we often talk about is uh, there's a great quote that says, like, when you focus on results, you'll rarely change. When you mm-hmm. focus on change, that's when you get results. So if you think about it as building skills and working on daily behaviors and actions that can help you feel better, move better, recover better, and yes, like, uh, you know, make the physical progress that you want. That'll often lead to better results than focusing on the weight loss and the weight loss itself. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, physical results are a byproduct of, of making choices to help you feel better and be stronger and feel more fit and energized and healthy. Uh, Oftentimes, those steps that you take there will lead to the body that you want. But when you're just focusing on the body that you want, oftentimes we see it doesn't quite work out as well and it leads to other potential issues. One of those being metabolic downregulation. Mm-hmm. But when you focus on things like oh, getting adequate sleep, super important for your metabolism, right? We know that getting just one night of, of subpar sleep can decrease your, your calorie output by 5 to 20%. Mm. Right, so if you accumulate that over years right. or decades, um, now sometimes it's not always within your control, right? I have three young children. Uh, <laughs> my sleep's not always as beautiful as I'd like it to be because it gets interrupted, right? right? Kids come in my room, someone wakes up crying. 
but you do the best you can in the circumstances available to you. But you make conscious choices to help reach that as much as possible. How can you manage stress? Can you find ways to be more stress resilient or decrease stress in your life? That'll actually help you make physical progress, feel better, look better, and keep your metabolism functioning more healthily without thinking about losing weight. Um, so it's really fascinating when, when you think about how, how, what steps can I take to help my metabolism function as well as possible. It's, it's about mindset. It's about mood. It's about sleep and stress. Being exercising, but not oftentimes people think of exercise. I have to go in and, and you know beat myself down and mm-hmm. go in and run for an hour every day, and that's actually not necessarily going to be the most helpful thing long term. What, what you want to do is be fit and move between you know uh, intense exercise or purposeful exercise, but just general daily movement, right? Not just sitting all day. Can you find ways to? add small amounts of activity throughout your day or small amounts of movement throughout your day, that'll help, right? Can you do, make, make sure you do things for recovery purposes, often overlooked, right? So is doing something like yoga going to expend a ton of energy, as much energy as going for a run? No, but it, it can help you recover from those runs more effectively. And then when you are running, you're able to run faster and run harder because you're recovering better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're actually expending more energy. Mm-hmm. And it improves the mood component, right? So it's this full cycle that I think often gets overlooked and we, we hyper-focus on, well, what foods yes. can I eat to boost my metabolism? Or what, what's one weird trick I can do? It doesn't really work like that, right? There's, there's a whole – I mean, yes, there are little things you can do. You can eat adequate protein, super important. You can eat adequate carbs to help your recovery, very important, um, eat adequate healthy fats for immune function and for hormone production. Like, yes, there are, of course, I mean, nutrition is my area of expertise. There are steps you can take nutritionally to help your metabolism function appropriately, getting, you know, plenty of fruits and vegetables. Um, But they're generally, relatively speaking, uh, maybe this isn't quite the best way of framing it, but like common sense approaches. It's very rarely do you have to do these hyper complex, you know, time my carbs, intermittent fast, you know, do this extreme approach. Those can work in, in, in certain circumstances or for certain people. But for most of the time, it's, it's taking small fundamental steps um, to kind of hit those big rocks. And so getting adequate protein, getting plenty of fruits and veggies, you know, eating, you know, other high quality carbohydrates like whole grains, beans, potatoes, things of that nature, getting in plenty of healthy fats from, from nuts and, and olive oil, avocados, fish, right? And then taking care of yourself in other ways, getting enough sleep to help you feel your best. So, you know, usually about seven to eight hours, helping to maintain your or, or be more stress resilient, find ways, whether that's through meditation, yoga, daily walks, snuggling your pet. I mean, there's innumerable ways you can actually help your body feel better and recover more. Doing activity and balancing, you know, purposeful, intense activity, whether that's resistance training or running or some type of, of intense cardiovascular work, but paired with recovery work, right? And that's often overlooked in, in its importance to a well-functioning metabolism. You need to be able to recover from your workouts. Uh, and those recovery workouts are often mood-boosting. And we already talked about the importance of how your mood relates to your output. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a... It's a complete circle, uh, and I think that's an important piece to keep in mind is that there are multiple ways to keep your metabolism functioning, and it's not from restricting yourself. And yes, you're going to need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight, but you can often achieve that without feeling ultra-deprived or limited. It's it's just important to 
think about all of the components that can go into it. Yes, yes. That was so good. And I love how you said that we have such a hyper focus. And I totally agree that sometimes we just need to take a few steps back and look at life and as a whole as mm-hmm. opposed to just one subject. Because like you said, it's all really working together. And you can't have one system without the other system being affected. And so we really got to take that big picture approach to that. So I just want to continue with... You, you mentioned uh, so much about what we could do to change metabolism. I just want to start by saying, like, at the beginning, we kind of mentioned that it's hard, right? Like, it's kind of against the human body to want to lose weight. But mm-hmm. so many people seek that. So you mentioned so many things. Can you just continue on with that? Like, here are three big takeaways that you could be doing in your life to start seeing healthy change. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, there are multiple things I can go through here. So you're looking for three main things. Like three I would things say, someone could do today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll probably end up doing more than three. That's okay. Just because there are <laughs> options, right? And I think that there are options at your disposal on, on what will work best for you and what's available to you. But one, this was probably the hardest one, but something to always keep in mind would be changing your mindset, right? Not going into it and thinking, man, this is going to suck or this is some short-term temporary thing. It's, okay, I'm going to take this one step at a time and focus on, you know, building or accumulating skills and and behaviors to help me feel better, move better, live better, recover better. Um, So I think it's often like we, we, people want to dive into it full head on, right? I'm going to start going to the gym four days a week. I'm going to do keto. I'm going to start, you know, doing X, Y, Z, you know, all these, all these things all at one time. And that might work. Um, But in my experience, and and at this point, we've coached over a hundred thousand people in our experience, that generally fails, right? It might work for a while, but eventually life's going to happen. Something's going to go sideways and a ton of those things are going to fall away. Mm-hmm. So what we generally see works best from a mindset perspective is coming at it from a, okay, I'm going to take this one step at a time. What is a, what is a big thing I can do now? And then what's another big thing I can do in a couple weeks and then a couple weeks. And it's like a, you know, a step system and you will build skills uh, to achieve the results you're looking for. So we equate it oftentimes to you want to learn a new language, right? Or you want to learn to play the guitar. Do you learn how to play, you know, Freebird on day one right. or Stairway to Heaven? Like, no, of course not. You learn how to play a couple chords and you learn the progressions and you understand like how to actually make songs. Like there's a whole series of events that have to occur to be able to play Stairway to Heaven. Right. Same thing like learning a new language. You have to understand the tenses and you have to understand, you know, how the sentence sentence structure works. You learn all of these pieces to actually be able to speak the language. But nutrition is often not thought of that way or, or fitness isn't thought of that way. But in reality, it's, it's much the same. Uh, if you approach it that way, you end up getting far better results because you build fundamental skills and you have a strong foundation now to work from. Mm-hmm. So that mindset piece is huge. And then from that, some of those skills, so those are what I'll segue into, some of those skills we would talk about would be, so obviously, you know, people focus on how or what they're eating. But another important piece is how are you eating? Mm-hmm. Are you eating how and why? Right? Are you eating slowly? Are you eating mindfully without or with minimal distraction? Right? And so it, sometimes distraction can be good if you're sitting and you're having a meal with somebody else, you're having conversation, you're putting your fork down between bites. It allows you to eat slowly. But eating slowly actually allows your body to recognize, hey, we've had enough food, we're content, even if we haven't finished off our plate. Right? There's no, there's no like award for being right. a part of a clean plate club. <laughs> yeah. So eating slowly and mindfully with minimal with uh, minimal distraction and eating 
I don't want to say only, but mostly when you're just physically hungry. Oftentimes we eat for lots of other reasons, right? We eat because we're bored or we're stressed or it's quote unquote time or other people are eating. And there's a time and a place for that. There's social gathering. Everyone's kind of eating. Again, it's part of that communal experience. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you should aim to eat when you're actually physically hungry. And then sometimes you'll want to eat something for many other reasons, right? right. You're stressed. <laughs> But check in with yourself. Ask yourself, am I, am I eating because I'm physically hungry or do I want to eat to help me cope with something else? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is I want to eat, it's going to help me cope with something else. Is there something else I can do that will help me cope with this differently or better? Mm-hmm. Right? Could I go for a walk? Could I call a friend? Could I snuggle with my pet? Could I do yoga? Whatever it is your thing that can help you feel better, it's going to work better long term than turning to food. Mm-hmm. So eating slowly and mindfully with minimal distraction and eating, you know, mostly when physically hungry. Mm-hmm. So those are the how and the why. And then obviously you can talk about, you know, what and how much. Mm-hmm. So you know, what to eat, again, is going to be you know, the classic things people have heard. Over and over, right. Over and over again, right? Like that stuff hasn't really changed. Now, there are individual preferences and, and differences. Some people do feel better on lower carb and some feel better on lower fats. But oftentimes you don't know that until you start start somewhere in the middle, see how you start responding, and then you can play with it from there. So what we teach is we use our hands to gauge portion sizes. So palms for protein, fists for vegetables, cupped handfuls for carbohydrates, so your fruit or your mm-hmm. starch, and your entire thumb for fat sources. So for men, we teach about six to eight of each of those a day, and for women, about four to six as starting points. And then you adjust them up and down to meet your particular needs, preferences, activity levels, results, right? And you flesh those out with, you know, mostly lean proteins. So your veggies are, we teach people to eat the rainbows, try to get a nice wide variety of color of vegetables because different color connotates different nutrients. Mm -hmm. Quality carbohydrates, we kind of already talked about a little bit, right? So any type of fruit, uh, whole grains, potatoes, sweet potatoes, beans and legumes, lentils, those kind of things. And healthy fats, I I had mentioned before too, like nuts, olive oil, avocado, maybe a little dark chocolate, things like that. So you have your what, and then you have your how much. I gave those portions. And we talked about the the mindset of building skills, like accumulating those things slowly over time. Mm -hmm. We teach the same thing even with the what and the how, uh, or the what and the how much. We work on protein for a couple weeks. Then we'll work on veggies for a couple weeks. Rather than trying to do it in one fell swoop, which rarely lasts, Mm -hmm. um, work on one thing at a time, and only that one thing, because you can start to master that skill of eating adequate protein and ingrain it into your everyday life. Then it just becomes what you do. And then you work on veggies. And that just becomes part of what you do. Right? And then mm-hmm. you work on carbs. When you do it piece by piece, they build, they build on top of each other. And then by the time you, before you know it, you have a super strong foundation. And even when things go sideways, you've already just built it into your everyday function. Right. Uh, and then, you know, yes, things might get a little hairier and it might be harder to be as consistent. But you can still do things pretty consistently and pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's a lifestyle. I mean, that's essentially what you're saying is it's it's not a diet anymore. It's it's the zoomed out approach to to health, which means looking at the whole. So I really love this approach and um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much for sharing all of that information. 
I do have a few quick fire questions before we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are always fun. And I just feel like I just want to give people time to like digest all of that and maybe go back and listen to it. Because the one big aspect that I loved so much about the show was the communal aspect of food. And I just feel like we can talk all day, like you said, about metabolism and the inner workings of it. But um, when we get back to a purpose of food, it is to enjoy it. And I think mm-hmm. just the thought of enjoying a meal for some people is scary. You know, like food has become an evil in our life. And it was never intended to be that. Um, so thank you so much for bringing that aspect up. I think it's definitely something that needs to be talked about more. And I'm excited that you were able to share that today. For sure. My, my pleasure. I think I agree with you wholeheartedly. Without question, it's something that needs to come back into the, uh, I'll call it dieting experience, but even that's not my preferred term, but I think everyone will understand what that means. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Quick fire questions. What is one thing you do every day for your health? Hmm. Um, probably some type of activity, physical activity. Uh, I don't generally exercise for like super long periods of time, but like Mm -hmm. 30 to 45 minutes, most every day. Um, I try to do something. So whether that's, you know, lift weights, do some type of cardiovascular work, walk my dog, do yoga, try to do something active every day. Helps me feel better. helps my clear my mind, helps my mood. Um, just makes me feel better all around. Right. And I love that you have like no clear defined, I have to do this. I think that's such a beautiful thing when people can get themselves in health and just be like, movement's part of my day and I'm going to do whatever, whatever's available on that day or that right. my body I got, a, I got a framework, but it's not a rigid framework. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, okay. Absolute. What's your favorite health book? Oh, um, probably <laughs> I'd say the book that, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I'd say it influenced me the most in my earlier days in the field would be the omnivore's dilemma mm. um just because by michael Pollan, because just mm-hmm. asked so many interesting questions and just got me thinking about food in a different way than i had thought about it before whereas in my youth it was very much the and i have an engineering background it was very much the mathematical inputs right. and outputs mm-hmm. making things complex um and it helped me see things in a different light mm-hmm. yeah uh what's your favorite health tip like it could be like a little simple tip, like lemon water in the morning, like just little things that that have changed the way you would do health. Mm. Uh, honestly, uh, it's probably too big to be a tip, but that mindset piece, I go mm. back to that over and over again because it's it's so easy to get trapped in the concept of like um, dieting or restriction and, and viewing food and not viewing food as like a punishment, right? Right. Viewing food as something that can help you nourish you and feel better. And you can make good choices based off of that, which can then lead to the physical results you're looking for. But the way you view food is, is critically important in my mind. And it's something like in our own coaching process, our own coaching practice, people go through coaching with us for a year and You'll see, if you ever look at our, our work, people comment about their experience, and it's rarely, oh, I learned so much about food. No, usually what they say is, I learned so much about myself, and I now view food and my life differently because it flipped their mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is such a powerful experience, and it, it ended up leading to them having the physical results they were looking for. Mm-hmm. But that was secondary to how it changed everything else. Yeah, I think that most people have the nutrition understanding. Most people are even nutrition experts, especially if they've been in this, you know, studying and wanting health for a period of time. That I would agree that the mind plays a huge role in that. So, sticking with that question, what's one thing you do for a healthy mind every day? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I could cop out and say my first answer, right? I, I do yeah. something movement and physical related because it does relate to my mind. But I would say, I don't know if it's a particular thing or it's just a daily approach where I really work to ensure I'm not burning myself out. Like mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I do a lot of work, but I'll take breaks and I'll spend a little time with my kids. Um, so I'll, I'll purposely throughout my day, try to structure it where I can manage the the stress load or feeling like burnt out or overwhelmed. Like I'll take little breaks. I'll walk my dog. I'll find time to get outside um, just to break things up and appreciate, you know, like getting outside and being in the sunshine for like 15 minutes. Right. It's, it sounds so like, okay, that seems irrelevant, but it really does make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and small movements, getting up and moving around helps you feel better. So for my, I mean, from for me, I could also say I, I really work. I, I really value my sleep, uh, and when I'm well rested, man, I'm in a much better mood. You, you can ask my right. kids. Uh, when I'm well rested, when Daddy has been sleeping, he's going to be a much better parent and a, and a better husband and a better employee um, than when I haven't gotten enough sleep. So maybe the best thing would be for a healthy mind. Uh, for me, it's it's focusing on getting adequate or trying to get adequate sleep and recovery every mm-hmm. single night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's healthy for everyone. <laughs> I, know, I know I gave a lot of answers there, but yeah. No, that's Ultimately, right. I'm thinking out loud. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you could leave us with? Hmm. Take it one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stop viewing health or wellness as like, okay, I'm going on a health kick or starting tomorrow, I'm going to start, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that approach um, generally doesn't work very well. Instead, view it as okay. I'm going to take one step today, and and maybe for the next two weeks, I'm going to do this one thing every day that I that is within my capacity that I'm ready, willing, and able to do every day. And it can be something pretty small, right? I'm going to have a lean, excuse me, a lean portion of protein at every meal, or at one meal, just one meal every day for the next 14 days. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that becomes two palms or, or two portions. And then it becomes, I add vegetables with those meals. And then it becomes, I, I replace a lot of my sugary drinks with, you know, sparkling water or seltzer or, you know, anything along those lines. Take it one step at a time and you'll be amazed at how things accumulate um, and how your progress just starts kind of rolling downhill. You're still going to have plateaus and you're still going to have times where things don't move as much as you would like, but know that that is part of the process. So Mm -hmm. the best piece of advice I can leave is to trust in yourself, trust in in the process and take it one step at Mm -hmm. a time. Yeah. So good. Brian, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. And you've been a wealth of knowledge. Can you tell us where we can learn more about you and what you do? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I work for Precision Nutrition. So precisionnutrition.com, we provide lots of tons of free resources, free articles, free courses. Um, You can check out if you're a fitness professional, we have certifications to learn exactly how we coach and what we do. You know, if you're someone interested in coaching, we have coaching programs. Um, We basically are a nutrition education and coaching company. So, And I contribute a lot of stuff there. write a lot of articles and do podcasts, right? And speak. So mm-hmm. check out us out in my work on precisionnutrition.com and you'll find a wealth of information. Ryan, thank you again so much for being here. I'll make sure and link all that up in the show notes so you can find it easily over there. So again, thank you, Brian, for being here. I really appreciate it. And hopefully at some point we can have you on again. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks for having me, Alexa. 
metabolism. I just love it. And I know that it can be really in-depth and scientific and there's not a lot of black and white, but I think that's what's so awesome about health is like all this gray area that just goes to show how individualized it is and how much we can play with it. And I don't mean play with it in like a bad way, like how much can we mess with it? But how much can we really learn about our bodies ourselves? Because I don't think that the world of science is ever going to fully understand how the human body works. Like I think God created it so uniquely and so intricately that the human mind can never fully grasp how it works. But we know enough and really just going back to the basics to make great, huge changes in our life. And I fully believe that huge changes are not just for vain issues to look better, but that that can create confidence inside of us and strength and all the things that we need to give more to other people. That is my mission here, not just so I can help you get to a certain size, although many of you wish that that probably was my mission. However, that we can get healthy so that we can live for so much more. I always say that health has to be about living for something, not living for health. And I think that the world of nutrition and fitness that we live in today is just a a life of living for health. And man, that is broken, right? So thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Again, I hope this mindset series is opening your eyes to everything, the experts that we've had on, and the solo shows. So I just want to give you a little brief update on what's to come here at Simple Roots Radio. Again, don't forget to share this with your friends and family. Tell them about it. Get them involved in this community that is growing of like-minded people. We just surpassed over a half million downloads, so that's pretty awesome. But to give you a brief update on what's coming up, Next week on the podcast, we're going to talk about how force creates resistance and how to overcome that. Yes, it has to do with metabolism, kind of going along with the mindset of metabolism like we talked about last week, like Brian hit on this week. We're going to dive a little bit further into that next week. It's called Force Creates Resistance. And then on Friday, we have a special bonus episode all about cortisol and how we can deal with cortisol to kind of get the results that we want to see. And then the next week we have another expert on, we're diving hardcore into fasting, intermittent fasting. I have a lot of questions with that expert that we're going to have on about longer term fast, that kind of thing. And then we're going to finish up this whole metabolism series. I'm going to give you a little rundown about the big points that you need to take away and the little things that you could be doing that could change your metabolism. Like it's the very actionable, hardcore, here's what we're going to do episode. So that's going to finish it out in three weeks from now. So we have two more podcasts or three more podcasts in there with that bonus episode. And then I have some fun ones coming up later on talking about fascia, which is like cellulite and pain. Um, We're going to talk about hormones. Uh, We're going to talk about Kegels and pelvic issues. And then this summer, we have an anxiety series coming up, which I cannot wait for. Okay. I just gave you a lot of information, probably more than I should have. Don't forget, though, to head on over and sign up for my email list at simplewordswellness.com. Get all the real details that are going on in my own life. It's a better way for us to connect. And yeah, you're just going to love it. Get involved there. Okay, that is it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Simple Arts Radio. Don't forget to listen to all the other episodes in this metabolism series and share it with your friends. I will see you next week with a solo show on Force Creates Resistance. Until then, have a great rest of your week.